Hello, everyone. This week's episode of the show is brought to you by the Haunted and the Haunted Horror Podcast. The show is inspired by classic monster stories and true Hollywood tales. If monster lore, action, and adventure is your taste, the Haunted and the Haunted Podcast is a six-episode series written by Christoph Bogax and Mitchell Hall that will make you wish Halloween was every night of the year. Here's the setup. The Haunted and the Hunted is about monster actor Lon Chaney Jr. He's down and out. He's going through a rough patch with his career. The CIA finds out about a big monster meeting in communist Cuba. So they enroll Lon Chaney Jr. and some of his friends to get their asses to Cuba, find out what's going on. Lon Chaney's got to sober up, get his life together, and do what he does best in creature design to get out of this mission with his life. This podcast is now available on all formats, and while we have not listened to it yet, it definitely sounds up our alley. Absolutely. And know what else is up our alley? Mm. Our favorite magazine. That's right. Fangoria. Their kick-ass mag always explores every nook and cranny of genre filmmaking, past, present, and future with all of the most exciting journalists, filmmakers, and horror know-it-alls like yours truly and Mr. Wampler to mm. guide you along sure. the way. Yes. We are very know-it-all-ish for sure. Mm-hmm. At least we pretend to be when we write for the magazine. Yes. Uh, I, anyway. I mean, I'm on record as saying that I know jack shit and I'm a <laughs> fucking idiot, but but I'll take that compliment. Yeah, but don't tell them that because they still bring us in to write articles every once in a while. We, they still got to believe we know our shit. It's in my bio. They need to check. They need to <laughs> check up on that. Well, hopefully Phil Nobile Jr. is not listening to this, uh, but if he is, we love you, Phil. And, uh, you know, we always go on about the high quality writing. And you will only ever get that writing in the physical pages of the magazine. So if you want to join in the fun, you will need to subscribe. And your bank account will thank you because these subscriber-exclusive covers tend to be the ones that sell out on eBay or mm -hmm. sell out and then go crazy on eBay. To do that, all you have to do is head on over to Fangoria.com and sign up. And since KingCast listeners are in the family, you can enter in the promo code KingCast at checkout to save 25% off your entire order. And with all of that shed, shed. With all of that shed, on with the sew. <laughs> Hi. My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Well, sometimes that is better. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Busby. And we are your hosts. Uh, we've got a very exciting returning guest on the show today. She's the former film critic turned screenwriter behind Blumhouse's Black Christmas remake, the former host of the Switchblade Sisters podcast, and the only person in the world who respects Dr. Giggles more than I do. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the KingCast stage, Ms. April Wolf. April, how are you doing today? You know, I'm doing pretty great. It's, it's overcast in L.A. I love it. Yeah, y'all been getting... Uh, a fair amount of rain lately as we're, yeah, we're recording yeah. this. I mean, as if you're on Twitter, you absolutely know when LA is getting rain. We're going to yeah, let you know. Earthquakes and rain every time. Yeah. Yeah. We love it. Yeah. I, I happened to be, <laughs> uh, be out there uh, for the last rainstorm and it was uh, not just rain. You guys got like full on lightning and forking lightning across the sky. I was at the Academy Museum. I was checking that stuff out and 
hanging out with E.T. and Bruce the Shark from Jaws and all that <laughs> stuff. And, uh, and they have the this real great E.T.? Little, yeah, from Spielberg's personal collection, yeah. Yeah, he's and, got uh, weird feet. E.T. does or Spielberg? <laughs> uh, I've, I've heard both. I don't know. But you have to ask. He only has one toe. It's like one hmm. giant big toe on each of his feet. That's what I've heard. I can't confirm that, but we'll... <laughs> We'll do our best to dive into that investigation between episodes. Um, you are you are in the process of writing right now, aren't you, April? Yes. Am I allowed uh, to say that? Yes. I should have asked first. Okay, great. Can you tell us what you're writing? I can tell you that I'm adapting a couple of books for TV series. Ooh. Um, so I can say that, and I can say that I am in casting on a few different movies. So. Oh, damn. You are busy. Yeah, I mean, most of my time is just on Twitter, but like, yeah. you know, I get of... a good hour of writing a day. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to post cat photos, you know, that's that's an important part of any any writing process, as we all know. Yeah, you know, I feel like I've talked about this with people before. I'm just like, oh, my pet has like anxiety now, like when I go away, when we, you know, because of the pandemic, because she hasn't had anyone else around. But then I started thinking about it. And I was just like, no, I think that's me. <laughs> I think that like <laughs> I'm the one who has the anxiety and I'm like, you know, holding on to this pet just for my relief. Cause I have to like go someplace tonight and I'm terrified. I haven't been able to sleep for a week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm terrified. Good. I've it's been like, dealing with this exact same thing. Yeah. It's <sighs> like this. It's not quite social anxiety. It's like being out of your layer anxiety is what yeah. it feels like to me. You know, yeah. and uh, yeah, I get real, I get real worked up about it. So I know what you mean. Yeah. If only mm. I could bring my cat with me. Oh, if I, I just... could bring my dogs with me. I mean, that would be a disaster for everyone. But yeah, that would make a, a great bit of difference. I just want to be like surrounded by the dogs all the time, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's that joke about like, you know, when you go to parties, are you the kind of person who like hangs out in the coat room with the dogs? And like, mm -hmm. that's. That's pretty much yeah. me, like getting underneath a, a a bed to try to coax out a cat somewhere. So. Yeah, for real. <laughs> I, I feel uh, like pe more people travel with with dogs, though, right? Like there aren't a whole lot of people that travel with cats. I've seen like YouTube videos and 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 stuff of people walking around with like that little see through backpack or whatever that they'll throw their cats in. Oh yeah, but yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, having just been on multiple planes in the last week. Like I've seen lots of little dogs and big dogs and, you know, I don't know, service animal dogs that aren't obviously actually doing anything other than their pet owner. The pet owner wants to uh, uh, travel well, with their pet, you know, that kind of thing. I think like I, I have leash trained my cat, so I, can't, mm. I could take her on walks. It's just that she's not particularly interested in leaving the home area and i think that's because when she was found she was like in a parking lot and just disgusting mm. and she was like right. oh hell no i'm not going back out there <laughs> like, I'm inside that's right. it that's all i want so you know maybe someday i can take her out with me she's still kind of young but you know that's my goal in life is just to to be that weird lady who's got a cat on her shoulder you know <laughs> <I got pirates. laughs> like there's always like one person who's got like a parrot or a cat on their shoulder on the train or the bus. And you're just like, yeah, yeah, that's a goal. I could do that. Yeah. Anyone could do it. You just got to take the step. You know, yeah. Once... Anyone could do it. Why don't more of us do it? Why aren't we all accessorizing with little, I would love a little monkey, 
like a little <laughs> capuchin monkey. Fuck yeah. Mm, that that's a rule. lot of work, man. That's a lot of work. You know, monkeys I'm, prepared. Got, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for this monkey relationship. You got to make sure that they're legal where you live in because they're like, there's certain parts of LA where like you absolutely are not allowed to have any monkeys because awful things have happened. <laughs> and so they put this is laws Texas. on the books. I, 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 this is Texas. I think Scott <laughs> could get a tiger if he wanted to. Yeah, oh, that's true. Yeah, you can open carry here without a permit now or something. I, I don't mm-hmm. know what the fucking deal is, but it's very. You can bad. open carry a monkey now. I'm sure too. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you can, if I, if I can carry a gun on my fucking hip, you know, I should be able to have a little monkey helper, a little, put him in a little hat. It'll be festive for everyone. I don't and know he, what anyone would have. He has his own little monkey gun on on his hip. So yeah, he's open, a monkey. you're yeah. open carrying a monkey who's open carrying. <laughs> His own little monkey gun. <laughs> I like where your head's at on this, and I want to build upon it a little bit. We make it a little monkey sheriff. So he's got the right. six shooters, but he's also got the 10-gallon hat. A cab. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. And, and, a li- and a little vest, <laughs> and a little, like, uh, sheriff vest, like a little leather sheriff vest with a star on it, 10 star. Mm-hmm. And April, to put you at ease, this would be a very progressive little monkey helper. <laughs> it would not be, like, <laughs> you know... <laughs> He wouldn't have a buzz cut. You know what I'm saying? Like he We had to recruit him to run for sheriff over here. Um, I would love it. It'd be fine. <laughs> uh, he's taking it all the way to the White House, my little monkey. I got to figure out what to name him. But yes, I would be very interested in, in doing that. Now, you have appeared on the show before. You've appeared on the show more than once. Uh, so we are long past the point of needing to do your, your Stephen King origin story here at the top of the show. What I would like to devote that time to instead is a brief discussion about Dr. Giggles, a film that I, I understand that you and I both share a passion for. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, ne- I never get to fucking talk about Dr. Giggles. Sorry to hijack it like this, Eric. But um, actually, Eric, I know that April and I are big fans. Where do you land on Giggles? Uh, I haven't watched Dr. Giggles in oh, easily a decade plus, but I watched it a whole lot when I was a teenager. It was like oh, yeah. one of those movies where I would... Oddly enough, considering the title that we're talking about, which was another video store staple, it was one that I would like look around at the video store, and if I didn't see something I really wanted on like the new release wall, I, I would just kind of go back and and like, oh, all right, I guess it's a Doctor Giggles night, and I'd re-rent Doctor Giggles. <laughs> <laughs> those are the best nights, yeah. son. Get a little pizza yeah. party going, some Doctor Pepper. I remember those nights. April, you shared with me not long ago uh, a thing you had written about Doctor Giggles, and it was just so good. All it really made me realize was that your your love of Dr. Giggles is far more serious than mine, I think. <laughs> That's, yeah, I guess I win that prize. <laughs> yeah, very analytical, very, very, you know, you were very thoughtful in, in that. Where, where was that piece of writing from again? It's the Rotten Movies We Love book from Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. and Because uh, that uh, movie is a rotten score. What the fuck? I don't know. I think that maybe that was slasher burnout around the time yeah. that that Giggles came out, but they're wrong. You know, mm-hmm. the critics are wrong on that one. It's it's one of my favorites from that time period. It's kind of like they were trying to create new horror icons, you know, so you had your Shocker, your Dr. Mm-hmm. Giggles. You know, there were a few movies like that that just never, never got the one hit wonder slashers. Um, but Giggles is absolutely my favorite. It's, anyway, you were you wrote very like intelligently and thoughtfully about it, and I'm just like, giggles fucking rules. Like that, that's <laughs> that's about the extent of me being able to talk about it. So I thought I'd give you a moment here to to watch Doctor yeah. Giggles in a more thoughtful way than I might be able to. 
I got a vibe to do the novelization of Dr. Giggles, oh I think is God. what this means. I would say that if you haven't seen it, like, ugh, there's so many reasons to, but partially it's because Manny Cotto, who wrote and directed this, has such a vivid recall of great cinematic classics. Um, I mean, like, you know, like one of the, the ways that he's rendering this God, he's like an absurd villain on screen is through the Frankenstein lens. So you have like these Mm -hmm. kind of Frankenstein's monster, like recreations of some of these like really beautiful, beautiful sets. Like there's one scene where he's, um, where Dr. Giggles is um, carrying Holly Marie Combs's lifeless body. I know she's still alive um, through the woods. And there's, there's all of like the, the mist and the fog rolling in and, and it's, it's very um, hammer. It is. It's it's like there's there's Frankenstein. Um, so you've got like the uni classics, and then you've got the the Hammer Horror, where there's like all this like weird texture and 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 kind of operatic, beautiful things happening. And totally. and then all of a sudden, in the middle or towards the end, there's a fucking lady from Shanghai uh, <laughs> section that is done so well that you're like, holy shit. And, you know, this is something, you know, like when I was watching it when I was a kid, I didn't, I'd never seen The Lady from Shanghai, you know. I watched <laughs> The Lady from Shanghai after and it was just like, oh my God, you know, like the gif of Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen being like, <laughs> that's Dr. Giggles. <laughs> 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 but it's just, it's so amazing and has such a, a wonderful um, sense of humor and it knows what level it's on like it wasn't trying to be serious in any sense um except for in its kind of uh, commitment to this really beautiful visual and aural kind of spectacle because the score from the australian composer brian may is so amazing it's so large and grandiose mm-hmm. for such such a you know like something that seems like it should be a b movie there's just so many elements that elevate it and i the one-liners are just the thing that keeps me coming back you know like when he's he's like <laughs> trying to kill someone and he says something like if you think that's bad wait until you get my bill and you're like oh god <laughs> 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 I remember like my my the first thing I think of when I think of Dr. Giggles is how scandalized I was as a child watching it on on like HBO after my parents had gone to bed when I was a kid. It, it would be funny if I ended that sentence like last week I was at my parents' house. <laughs> the scene where Giggles as a child hides inside the corpse of his mother and then basically like cuts his way out of it. was so transgressive to me like as a kid like what like i didn't even think you were allowed to do that in a movie you know like that sort of it it, it, sort of the same feeling i got in that when i saw the south park episode where cartman makes the kid eat his parents scott tennerman it's Mm -hmm. it's so like over the top horrifying (laughs) um it really leaves a mark yeah that's still the first thing i think of when i hear Dr. Giggles, mm. that shot of her, him coming oh, out of yeah. her body is fucking gnarly as hell. There's scenes like that, too, that, that kind of evoke this classic um, uh, freaks uh, imagery, you know, from, mm-hmm. the, yeah. from the movie. There's there's just like every era of horror film present in what should be just a silly bad movie, but is actually so wonderful. And I, yeah, I got very academic on it. I was like, people should love this. And I, and I do think that like, 
Ryan Murphy owes a lot of his career mm. to Manny Cotto. Um, and I know that sounds ridiculous, but Manny Cotto has continued to work in TV and definitely was hired as a consultant on the first season of American Horror Story and has worked with him. And there's Fuck. like, like, I didn't, I didn't know that. That's there's, there's that a certain, tracks. and I'm not, I'm not a huge Ryan Murphy fan. I, I don't, I don't Mm-mm. feel the same kind of reverence, um, from him that I do from Manny Cotto, but there's like, to me, that's like what it, his stuff could be is this, is this Manny Cotto relic of 1992 and and it it kind of bums me out sometimes when like american horror story never reached those heights Mm. um but yeah manny Cotto, great dude i think ryan murphy is an emperor with no fucking clothes i don't think uh manny Cotto is so i i think that you know some of the cues they're taking are, are just that it's it's somebody taking cues this the ryan murphy stuff that i've seen is like and I'm sorry to like launch into an anti-Ryan Murphy tirade, but here's what happens. This I watched the first season of American Horror Story and some of the second. And every season, as far as I can tell, is like this. It starts really good. It's got a wild-ass premise. There's all kinds mm-hmm. of shit going on. You're like, what is this? And then about a third of the way through the season, they start doling out answers and solving some of the mysteries. And but also introducing new ones. And you're like, uh, hold on. Shouldn't we be, you know, stopping right now? Another third of the way later, it's goes completely off the fucking rails. And mm-hmm. that's the point. I see it on Twitter every season, like clockwork. People are hyped and then they're like bored and then they're mad at it. And then they come back the next season like they forgot everything that happened before. And it happens <laughs> over and over and over again. Like I said, an emperor with no clothes, all style, no substance me yeah i mean i've always actually wondered if maybe his stories could have been better suited towards film sometimes um there's yeah, just sure. such a, a a bloat in television in general but when you put it into a genre thing especially horror i think there's a, a, a hard there's something difficult about it because the the horror that i like actually doesn't have any explanations whereas commercial tastes and television drive you to have explanations for everything and more explanations than you would prefer if you are writing these things um but you know tv is just an extension of that and and i yeah i just don't think it suits that genre necessarily you know when it needs to deliver 10 kind of beefed up hour-long episodes that, that yeah. you know, they're, they're not going to kind of twist the plot anymore than than you thought they were going to. Totally. Have you all seen Dr. Giggles in a theater? Yes. Fuck, dude. I'm jealous of you. Eric, Giggles? No, theater? I don't think so. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that was a VHS for the first time for me. And best of my knowledge, we haven't had like a retrospective screening of that year. Uh, I'm no, sure there must have been, been something that I missed, but yeah, there Aww. must have been a Terror Tuesday or a Weird Wednesday at the Draft House where mm-hmm. they screened that. But if I'd been aware of it, I, I fucking would have been there. For what sure. we need to do is get yeah. Mondo to release the soundtrack. Oh, it's so and, good. and then, and then what we do is talk Draft House into doing a screening out at LA. Uh, April, I'll fly out there. We co-host this fucking thing. Okay. We yep. Get whoever's available from the cast and have a little giggles party. I'm I'm way into this idea. <laughs> uh, someone's got to be available from the cast. Holly Marie Combs will probably come. <laughs> <laughs> Larry Drake, not so much, unfortunately. I I realized while talking to April last night that uh, Larry Drake is no longer alive. I'd forgotten that mm. and was very saddened by that. I love that guy. He's a 
as a screen yeah. presence. Or, it's super bummer. I even watched him when I was a kid in LA Law. I was like, really, he's just an interesting performer, you know? Man, imagine that yeah. role existing today. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Could you imagine like the fucking LA Law would have lasted two episodes and that would have been the end of that? Yep, it'd be very special L.A. law, and then you're done. (laughs) (laughs) But that's enough giggles talk, I think, for now, right? We should probably get into the 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 reason we're all here today, which is Children of the Corn Three. To catch every the full title, Children of the Corn Three, Urban Harvest. Yeah, Uh, I should I should uh, provide a little backstory here in that. um, When we started the show, Eric and I were not well versed in the Children of the Corn sequels. April was our first guest to come on and do the first Children of the Corn, which sort of got us curious to check out some of the sequels. Then I saw a GIF on Twitter uh, from the second one of the lady being uh, rocket propelled through the window of a bingo parlor in a uh, remote controlled wheelchair. And I was like, all right, that's that's finally pushed me over the line to check these out. (laughs) So we did a commentary on uh, Children of the Corn 2 over on the Patreon. We loved it. Had a great time watching it. And now April has returned to do Children of the Corn 3, which we have all recently watched. April, if you don't mind, would you uh, lay out the plot for this for anyone who has not seen Children of the Corn 3? Yeah, I'm going to try. Uh, <laughs> brother against brother. Brother against brother. Uh, okay, so there's a weird small kid named Eli and his brother Joshua, and they live amongst the corn. <laughs> and in in the beginning, Joshua is running away from his dad, who's like an alcoholic or something like that. And Eli, um, quote unquote, saves him um, because he he kills the father and doesn't really tell Joshua or anything. And then all of a sudden, we jump to just a cool Chicago couple um, who are taking in these two boys from Gatlin, and they're going to try to make a home for them. And it's and it's Eli and Joshua. And um, the Eli immediately comes off as like total fucking weirdo. The the mother is like really scared of and he wants to pray all the time and he's into fire and brimstone shit and then joshua is like basically kind of like a nice kid who should be fine in the city he ends up like making friends he like plays basketball with some kids like gets a crush on someone but then all along eli is just like doing some fire and brimstone shit and he's planting corn in a an abandoned factory next door to the house too (laughs) Um, in downtown Chicago, downtown Chicago. Yes. Makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, obviously they spend the, the parents spend way less time with Eli cause he's so fucking scary. And then there's a big shocker that, uh, the social worker who actually brought the kids there discovers that Eli was originally adopted from Gatlin, Nebraska, and that he has not aged since 1964. <laughs> <laughs> totally um, normal. Totally normal. Like they see like a picture of him, like in a newspaper clipping, all that kind of stuff. So Eli uh, kills the mother, the foster mother. And oh no, that sucks. But William's still going to like take care of them. And he gets a load of Eli's corn and is like, man, I Mm -hmm. love corn. And he happens to sell corn. (laughs) He's like, he lets his job. 
Yeah, he's a he's a commodities <laughs> trader, so he sells corn. So he's gonna like sell Eli's corn, and Eli's like, yes, yes, sell my corn. Then it, the corn actually, I think it like possesses the the kids. I'm not totally sure what what's happening, but like the classmates. <laughs> yeah, I think it makes disciples of you. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like there is definitely these kids who like. Um, he like, don't play basketball, come and follow me. And he, he walks behind the rows and they're like, yeah, that's great. Um, and the, the priest hates Eli. Joshua was like, I don't like you. You're not fun. Um, and then a lot of things happen and then Charlize Theron gets thrown and, uh, yeah, I think. Disrespectful. Yes. <laughs> In my opinion. But the thing is that the corn definitely goes to Germany. <laughs> yes. 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 Yeah. Uh, Children it's of the, the Corn Tree does end on a note, uh, setting us up for an international adventure, which, uh, according to Brian Collins over on Twitter, never comes, uh, which <laughs> is upsetting. Uh, my my people are from Germany. I'd love to see them reckoning with a, a corn outbreak or a, a corn outbreak. A corn outbreak. <laughs> uh, yeah. Or a he who walks behind the bros supremacy. Um, <laughs> unfortunately we never get there but yeah that is a very accurate uh reading of the plot for corn boys three um <laughs> eric eric what did you think on this was this your first viewing uh no no i know that i had seen a, a good chunk of the children of the corn direct-to-video movies because i watched them when they came out you know as a teenager renting anything with Stephen King's name on it <laughs> or tangentially related to Stephen King uh, at the video store. So I did, I had seen this before, but again, much like Dr. Giggles, it's been, I, I probably haven't watched this movie since I was 15 or 16 years old. So I didn't remember mm-hmm. all that much about it, but I will, something that I'd like to point out was I was getting, especially towards the end, some like serious season of the witch vibes from this thing, like Halloween three vibes where it's like, they just went, fuck it. Everything that came before is kind of whatever this is. Now we're going to go extreme and, and bugs are going to pop out of people's heads, but you know, people's heads are going to crack open and bugs are going to come out where that's how we roll on this one. I, I feel like that has to do with the director, um, James Hickox, uh, not having seen the previous two before he uh-huh. started. He, he said that he didn't, he, he came off of, um, Hellraiser three and brought quite a few people from that team over to make children of the corn three after right. that, if I'm, I, I believe, but like it, it has more of a Hellraiser feel than it does a children, children of the corn oh, yeah. feel. And like an yeah, early Peter those... Jackson feel a little bit too at the end, you know, where yeah. it just goes balls yeah. out. I think we're all talking about like the vines and the tentacles and shit, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, I yeah, got Sam Raimi what it does to people from that. Yeah. They, they drive back from Chicago to find the little corn Bible. In, in Gatlin and, uh, and, and, and then the friend fucking gets his head like pulled up like where his spine turns out to be like 20 feet long somehow and his head's just so like good. it is the most ridiculous like gross Brian Usna early Peter Jackson shit and it's uh, kind of it, it was very unexpected for me even as somebody you know who would you know, is now a little bit more versed in, in the children of the corniverse. You know, this is definitely an outlier. And I think that that happens pretty early on. It like signals you right away that, that things are going to be a little bit different whenever the abusive father gets turned into the scarecrow uh, at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And like, there's that crazy, uh, like effect of like the, his eyes getting sewn shut and his mouth being sewn shut by the vines and stuff. 
where it's just like, all right, so this is the kind of Dude, movie I we're fell in, in love time. with it immediately on that shot. I, I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt, but I, I fell in love with it immediately on that shot. I love a scene where someone gets their eyes or mouth sewn shut. I think it's horrifying every fucking time. And this is a really good version of it. I thought the effects were. That was like my first indication that this was a better made movie than I suspected it to be. I think it's like beautiful at times and it's so unnerving. I guess I need to bring up Eli licking the mom's ear. Yes. What is going on in that situation? I like squealed when I saw it. (laughs) Just audibly squealed. Oh my God. The, the setup the setup here is that like each parent ends up having a favorite of the two boys or like right away each of the foster parents Eli kind of butters up the dad because he knows that the mom's skeeved out by him and uh, forgive the pun by the way the butter buttering up the dad uh, and like he, he <laughs> but like he, the dad's also like I can make a million millions of dollars with this amazing corn that grows super fast and turns into cockroaches sometimes, you know? Uh, but he's like, sees it as like, Oh my God, this kid's got this brilliant strain of corn that I can become rich off of and, and, uh, really break out of my, my job, uh, which we get the one scene with, uh, Clint and Ron Howard's father, uh, Rance, who's like an old, old character actor who comes in for Rance? one scene to Rance Howard. Yeah. Christ. All right, go ahead. Yeah. And so uh, he's he's the boss at the very beginning that he, where he the, the foster dad's like I I really want to raise and and the guy's like I don't know and you know for that that whole scene is like hey here we, we're going to give Rance Howard a, a role um, so this guy's wanting to break out of his his uh, commodities trading you know station in life and he sees the younger creepier uh, corn child as the uh, as his way out and the, and the mom like sees the older boy as being you know, nice and willing to make friends and, you know, not being a a creepy little, you know, Amish kid or whatever, you know, so she kind of gravitates towards him. So what's really great about that, like a creepy ass ear lick is that, (laughs) is that like, it's the first time that uh, the kid's like, Oh, you know, you kiss him goodbye. Why don't, why don't I get a kiss? And she's like, Oh, well, sure. Okay. And then, then he fucking sticks his tongue in her ear when she goes to kiss him on the cheek. And it's such a glorious, like, fuck you. I, I know that I, you don't like me at all, but what are you going to do about it? I just put my tongue in your ear. Yeah. <laughs> is, I, is there a term for when you do that to someone? Like, it's not wet a willy? wet willy. No, yeah. Wet no, a wet willy is with the finger. That's right. with the finger. With the tongue, though, that's got to be. Is there no name for that move? Not a fan of this move, but like hmm. it's it's got to have a name for it, right? I don't know. Call it the Eli right now. The Eli. Okay, yeah. The, the Not evocative Eli. enough. I think it needs to be sleazier than that. Like some some kind of licking thing. Eli liquor. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> like I don't window know. liquor. <laughs> yeah. Eli liquor. <laughs> um, we'll we'll have to think about that. We'll right. throw it on another T-shirt at some point. But um, I think that this is a child licking a lady's ear, and it's his stepmom. Uh, so very upsetting for a number of reasons, but they sort of explain it away by the fact that he's been alive for so many years. Right. So he's, he's sort of like, he's of age. Yeah. So I'm just saying, you know, there's no kitty diddler stuff going on here or any, uh, (laughs) anything untoward in that sense. It's just a shocking visual. 
Mm. I I gotta say the actor who plays Eli uh, Daniel Cerny, mm-hmm. um, the, like he didn't act after this. <laughs> No, he did not. Time, and I feel like you can see a kind of like tiredness on his face sometimes. Of just like, are you serious? This is what I have to do. He commits (laughs) fully, but there is also something in this that, like, this movie could even be even better if there was a different performance as Eli. I just feel like this kid's just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like as he's doing it, he's committed, but he just doesn't want to do it. There's like almost like a playfulness on his face where he's just like smiling, just got to get through the day. Got to get through the day. <laughs> you know, He's not as good as uh, Isaac Croner was in the first one. Yeah. Well, but I mean, still- Isaac was like 23. Or something when he did that, right? Right. He had the thing where he was, you know, uh, what's it called? I don't want to use the wrong term and get myself into trouble when they look. But he had the thing where he's much older but looks much younger. Yeah. Right. Um, frantically scanning his, uh, they don't give a name for it. They just say, as a child, Franklin had a growth hormone deficiency. As a result, his adult height is barely five feet or roughly 152 centimeters for any UK readers in the audience, I guess. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, he was much, much older than he looked. There were moments in Urban Harvest where Daniel Cerny is delivering a monologue. This happens multiple times because he gives like sermons. And I was honestly impressed with this performance. Yeah. Uh, it didn't have the precociousness that usually pushes me away from, yeah. you know, child actors. There was no theater kid shit going on there it felt pretty strong to me so i thought that guy did pretty well as april noted yes he did not uh act again for a long time he was an editor uh, on the janice dickens modeling agency and more importantly appeared in andrew weir's fearless in 1994 and 1991's doc hollywood another unsuccessful attempt by hollywood in the early 90s to launch a new slasher franchise A doctor-based slasher franchise. Yep. Doc Hollywood versus Dr. Giggles. Million-dollar idea. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Joshua here, which is the older uh, older brother. There was something that was driving me fucking crazy watching this movie going, who does he look? He looks like somebody. I couldn't place it. And it wasn't until the end when uh, he started fighting the giant rubber monster. And I'm like, he look. He's Trey Parker. He looks exactly like like Cannibal the Musical era Trey Parker. And once you see it, you can't like unsee it. And I, you can't really take him seriously. I'm gonna look up a photo and see if I see this with him. Ron Melendez is like he he had a pretty successful career, didn't he? Well, I can tell you, he's one of the only names on this cast that doesn't have their own Wikipedia page. I mean, that's wild. He was in. I remember him being in American Horror Story. Honestly. Ron yes. Melendez. Oh, yeah. He was in... Nar- oh. Narcos. Yeah. Oh, let's see. Hawaii Five-0. Yeah, he's, he's had a, a big career. Or a long career, anyway. Yeah, like it, he's been a, a working actor. Yeah, wow. Yeah, he's been in a bunch of shit. It's weird when you come across an actor like this, and they have specifically starred in a number of things you've never seen, but you've heard of. <laughs> you know what yes. I mean? Mm-hmm. Young and the Restless. Something called bitch slap. Look, diagnosis, murder, angel, sliders. I mean, this is this is a. I was in the minority report TV stories, uh, TV series. Oh yeah. I never watched that, but I haven't. I haven't watched almost anything on this guy's resume. 
But yeah, he's he's been at it for a long time. I like that the two brothers, you know, the obvious choice here would be just have two evil brothers come to the city right. and start wrecking havoc. You know, I like that they were sort of pitted against one another. Mm. And I liked all the shit like April was saying earlier when like, you know, Josh plays basketball and uh, Eli's like, what the fuck? You know, this is <laughs> sinful. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't be we can't be wearing bugle boy sh- shirts and, and <laughs> playing basketball like this is disgusting. I, yeah, love I love all of basketball that. Basketball is the evil thing in this. <laughs> right. Like, what? Not smoking cigarettes or like it's the heart of Chicago. Like no one's doing any drugs or, you know, even if they had just like given the ball players like 40s or something, you know, or had them smoking weed, something so it could be like more of a corrupting thing. No, they're just they're literally just playing basketball. Playing basketball. Yeah, they're just good kids playing basketball. It's wild. And I love uh, Maria yeah, I- being like, let's put the Amish kid in there. the opening line for a trailer for like a like a uh what was that kevin bacon movie up in up in the air or something or a blindside sort of thing where it's like a a woman is rehabilitating this kid who is he's amish that's what he has to overcome and he does it by playing basketball (laughs) there's a trailer to be cut with the like the mother character and the the older son absolutely that Mm. is like the blind side (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> the corn side speaking of which i'm going to bring up a, a topic that's been a little bit of a hot button issue here on the show lately mm-hmm. this is a trend that we have noticed within king's work which i think deserves further examination here and, and i'd be particularly curious to hear april's response to this but our working theory is that stephen king has a weird thing about corn corn obviously is a big part of children of the corn and there are eight sequels, but I kind of I don't really blame King for those sequels. All of them feature corn, of course. This is a story of corn children. Mm-hmm. But there are also many, many other Stephen King stories, uh, like short stories, novels and or adaptations that feature corn in a key role. Always on the cob with King. I say our. I don't know if uh, Vespi shares my opinion on this, but I think that Stephen King has a weird thing with corn. I think he had some sort of event happen in his life where corn on the cob took on sort of a totemic quality. He has a history that we can we can now chart just by doing this show of introducing corn cobs into the process and having them be, you know, everything from a, a killing instrument to, you know, the basis for an entire series. April, in your own reading of Stephen King, have you picked up on this? And what what do you think of this theory and what it might mean? Uh, I actually have a lot of thoughts about this. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> uh, and I, I think that part of it has to do with his childhood in a way that kind of corn will scar you <laughs> here. And this make this will make <laughs> sense. Uh, so I grew up in the Midwest and in Michigan, um, you know, or Indiana or Ohio, where, you know, I would often drive through. There are just endless cornfields. Um, you know, corn mazes are huge for us. Like there's just so much fucking corn. Corn is everywhere. Like at some point in time, it's like almost 
the only thing that was growing. Like we had apple orchards, but then there was also corn because corn commodities had started actually getting really, really big. Um, you know, and the same thing with corn and soy because corn went in everything. So that they really kind of um, made farmers start planting more of it. So it became ubiquitous. It was just everywhere. And it, it like, it was almost like an invasive species. It like took over the entire Midwest <laughs> and like, you've got like wheat and corn. And it's just like, that's, that's all that farmers were doing in the Midwest. And then of course, you know, like now, now that I know more about it, I, I understand like the commerce of just like how, uh, you know, uh, California has a, a lot more, um, diversified crops, whereas the Midwest had, was so much government subsidies of, of corn and, and soy. And this is so boring. I'm so sorry. No, this is fascinating. But when when you're growing up and that's all that you see and it feels like it's taking over, it, it feels kind of... Uh, Oppressive? It, it, yeah, it feels oppressive. And it and it's and it's often, you know, followed obviously like in these smaller kind of towns in the Midwest, like like a lot of religion. And so there's just so much of those two things together that the the fact that children of the corn got written and that corn is in a lot of his things, like it makes sense because he lived in Wisconsin and he lived in Indiana. He lived in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And even though he only lived there for like a little bit, and then of course moved back to, you know, Massachusetts, Port, you know, Portland, Connecticut, all of that kind of stuff. It can scar you because it's so different. It's so different from New England. It you know, like the landscape is just overrun by corn and it, and you feel like lost in it. Um, a lot of times, like it's so high, you can't see past it. And, and it's, and it's actually scary because <laughs> there's like, it's just like children of the corn where like, there's long stretches of land where like, you don't know when the next gas station is going to be coming mm -hmm. up or if anyone else is going to be there. And it's kind of terrifying. And so for him to have kind of grown up visiting those places and staying there, living there for short periods of time and then going back to New England, I can see how that would scar him and just be like, that was fucked up, you guys. I need people to know how fucked up that is. <laughs> wow. You may have solved this case. Okay. Because that's a really good theory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's that's more that's i mean eric correct me if i'm wrong but that's a, be a better theory than we what we had it's like you know he just likes corn <laughs> maybe maybe his maybe his mom got attacked by a corn you know it, like it's it's <clears throat> i had no theories except i you know in my mind i was kind of connecting it to his blue collar upbringing and assuming that corn must have played a big role in his life for much for the same reasons that you're talking about. But, right. but I like the idea of it, of corn itself being this oppressive force that, you know, is obfuscating the environment and right. disconnecting you from, from other people by just the, the volume of those cornfields. I did not think I was going to get deep on corn. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, this is everything this is, I touch. I turn into an academic lecture and I apologize. That was not academic and it was not a lecture. This is we're blowing the lid off of this as we're talking about it. This is a, this is yet another KingCast exclusive, I think. Right. I, 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 think um, that, I think that there is also a part of this that's purely coincidental because there's stuff like in 
in secret window, secret garden in the secret uh, window movie, like none of that is the, that corn part is not in the book. You know, that's something that just happened to be in the movie. And I don't think David Kep was like, you know what King has a thing with corn. I, I really think that's purely coincidental on that part, but you can't, that's a pretty big just, fucking coincidence. I mean, you're right, but maybe he's picking up on some of the, the, the vibes that King is putting down there. I don't know. Could be, could be. Yeah. I, corn I mean, there's is still so wholesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, def- it's apple pie, basically. There's, there's definitely something to the oppressiveness that you brought up that I really like. And I can just picture in my mind's eye, like King, like riding his motorcycle when he used to do that in between like book signings, like through the mm-hmm. Midwest and stuff, mm-hmm. like just going through Nebraska or, you know, any of those Midwest states that are nothing but cornfields and, uh, and just kind of looking around, you know, in the late seventies, early eighties or whatnot going, Jesus fucking Christ, anything could be out there. Uh, you know, and, and that being oh, yeah. something that sticks sticks with him and in, in the back of his mind, you know, because the whole idea of uh, of the original short story is that it's not about what happened in the town. It's it's about literally that happened and nobody else noticed because they're so cut off from everything, right? So that that's yeah, what right. what the original story is about is like you can you, we think that we're all connected in this in this world and we're all connected and uh if anything happens anywhere we're gonna know especially today with with cell phones and whatnot but like what about these little religious communities that exist out in the middle of nowhere something could happen there 10 years before and no nobody would know and there could be this you know horrific event that happened in the small town that you know just somebody happens upon uh and it's as you said obfuscated or hidden by the corn so like that, that is the original creepiness of that short story and, and of that premise. Um, and without the corn, that doesn't work. So uh, just not for the title, but like for the actual feeling of the uh, the story. That's great. I've been I've been I've been fucking with the uh, making the uh, Mexican street corn lately. Mm. Let me oh, tell you, that yeah. shit is delicious. Holy shit. That's we have a we have a taco place here in um, Austin called Torchies that makes their own. And uh, I got tired of their corn showing up on my DoorDash deliveries, not piping hot mm-hmm. or in like an ideal state for one reason or another, <laughs> congealed or, or not good. And I was like, you know what? This must be very simple to make. I found a copycat recipe. I modified it a little bit. It's fucking delicious. Mexican street corn. Highly recommend it. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about other than the fact that it's corn. But yeah, big fan. Have you guys ever gotten lost in a corn maze? Mm-mm. Mm, no. It's so scary. <laughs> I have never I don't done think those. I get claust- Yeah, I get claustrophobic. I don't know that I would fuck with one of those. Is there a corn maze horror movie? I mean, there has to be one, be, right? Dude. Yeah. It feels like such a natural thing, especially with all the horror movies that take place around Halloween, because you have you have those like <laughs> you know we would. I mean, when Halloween comes up. Like that's when, you know, all these towns like have their haunted hay rides and, and the corn mazes and shit like that. You just think that, that would be like a natural setting. Huh? There are, there are multiple uh, corn maze movies. Oh, hell yeah. One is called Fear Farm, but it's spelled like P-H-A-R-M. <laughs> uh, one is called The Maze, which is clever because maze to our Spanish speaking friends is corn. Hmm. Uh, and then there's also, I mean, it's not corn, but it's worth mentioning that in the tall grass takes place, right? You know, within a, a deep field of tall vegetation, yeah, uh, that you can get lost in. 
I mean, it should it should just be corn, honestly. <laughs> like that's a lot of land to not be growing corn. Corn he is a, been, a hot commodity. Yeah, but if he had done like if in the tall grass was in the tall corn, yes. it would it would probably like. I don't know. I, I don't know. I think I think people would naturally assume that it was something children of the corn related mm. and would be waiting for, you know, he who walks behind the bros to like pop up at the end and be like, hey, it's me. Wouldn't that um, be a great like post credits thing? Or just like <laughs> <laughs> is it this... John Franklin, that actor just pops up and he's like, hey, guys, <laughs> you know, it's from... me, corny. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. There's a list of like. A lot of these are called maze. So everyone's got the same idea. Oh, I love it. I love it. I You guys should do a podcast comparing all of the corn oh, no. movies no. after Children of the Corn. No, the vetoed. corn cast. Vetoed. Corn cast. <laughs> you could do a corn. If we ever get Stephen King on the show, mark my words. I'm going to ask him about the fucking corn thing. We're going to check this out, April, and see if, you're, <laughs> see if you're, uh, your theory holds water. Wouldn't it be wild if he's just like... Yeah, I don't know. It's just corn. Yeah. Like, no, that's absolutely what he's going to say. Just refuse to address it. <laughs> yes, that's absolutely what he would say. That's what <laughs> anyone would say. It's just if like, I, corn's cool. If, I don't know. If I were Stephen King's therapist, I would say it's time to be honest with ourselves and our therapists <laughs> because there's clearly something more going on here. And I think that your theory is the the one that holds the, the, uh, most, water. the most water. So. Right, yeah. We will loop yeah, back around know. to that somewhere up the road. There's still something in the back of my mind that's saying that that uh, whenever he's on these specific corn related uh, things, he was writing the script for Sleepwalkers, and and he's like, "Oh man, the mom's got to kill the sheriff," or, you know, that that cop, the sheriff, uh, you know, in some way. It's like, "Oh, okay, how about an ear of corn?" In my mind, I, I just something's telling me that. He just happened to have corn for dinner that night and or the night before. And, and it was what, whatever was on his mind while he was searching. Like, how, how am I going to get around this? Where's Mother yeah, Abigail in that scene, amongst the corn? Um, in that scene, though, in Sleepwalkers, that's like in a kitchen, right? Yes. How easy would it have been for the dude to just pick up a knife or, what, or, well, or whoever probably, it was? I'm, I'm thinking through his thought process there where he's like, well – can't just have her stab him. I mean, that's not, you know, she's a, a cat mom, a sexy cat mom. She's got to, <laughs> she, she's got to do something bigger. And like, well, what if, what if she's cooking a cob of corn? <laughs> and, and this, cause the, the cop in that whole scene but is he he's sitting there eating, e- eating everything. Right. And so she's like distracting with food. So I can see My the thought process. Is, he could have picked a carrot. He could have picked mm. a sharpened frozen banana. Uh-huh. He could have picked, you know, things that you normally have around your kitchen. Uh, but uh, a corner uh, picking corn on the cob, I think, is a specific choice. And we, you know, again, we just need to get to the bottom of that. But I mm. think we can. I think we will in time. <laughs> um, I, I want to say this about the movie. I had a similar reaction to it in the way that I did Children of the Corn, too, where I wrote these movies off, these sequels off lo- a long, long time ago and assumed they were the worst of the worst direct to video trash. They, they just have the frequency of them alone would indicate yeah. that. Yeah, sure. But with corn two and corn three, I feel like both of these movies were way better offered better quality filmmaking than, than I was expecting. While I was watching urban harvest today, I was thinking like, 
this is actually a better made movie than a, a sizable percentage of like the streaming original movies that I have mm. seen. Yes. Yes. You know? Absolutely. Uh, and, and that's like, I feel like I've been unfair to the, the corn boy movies now that, that maybe at least the early ones. Uh, yeah. yeah. At least the early ones. I don't know. Like once we get into six, seven, you know, they're going to, they're going to hold that same charm, but uh, remind me, April, have you seen all of them? No. Uh-uh. No, I was just a, a lover of the first one. So I've actually not seen any of the, the sequels myself until you made me watch this one. And I'm glad. <laughs> glad you did. It's so good. have you not, you haven't seen two? No, I haven't even seen two. Oh, dude, you got to see two. It's like, it's, it's the perfect, you know, uh, movie you would have seen at 3 p.m. on an HBO, like during a sick day when you were in seventh grade, 90s shitty horror movie. It's exactly is exactly that. And this is this one. This one, I think, is even better than two. But they're both like I found so much more to appreciate in both of them than I expected. I'm kind of taken off guard. They're fun. I, uh, it might be it might be up there with like um, the the great franchises. I don't know. I got to see the second one. <laughs> we'll see what happens with the fourth. But that might be yeah, the next one but, is amazing. But yeah, but the, but. I will say what the second and third one are just surprisingly there to entertain you, right? They, they, the, the first one kind of feels a little dull in comparison. Um, but that said, I will, For real. There, but there, but that said, I, I will, there's not one sequence that's as good in, in two or three, even though I think they're more complete, more fun movies, uh, than the, uh, the flashback as the, the first kids in Gatlin were, or go and kill everybody in town like that to me, like is legit good filmmaking at the very beginning of uh, the first children of the corn. The one that I was like, when I revisited it, I was so shocked at how uh, well that actually was done and just how great the tension was being built. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the way that the, the kids were all playing their roles and, and the obliviousness of the adults, like right up until the moment that they, you know, started wiping them all out. Like it, it, it's such a legitly greatly directed sequence. So I don't think there's anything as good as that one sequence in, in either two or three, but as, as a whole, like if I'm going to pick uh, anyone to watch and I have to watch one right, right now tonight, um, it's, it's going to be between two and three. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. There was still like an air of seriousness that was carried, you know, in, in the first one, despite it right. being, obviously uh you know it's it's trying to hew closer to the original short story which when we talked about it it's like it's you know on the serious side and it's more just a relationship drama of like them bickering and hating each other um and then this is just you know like here's the concept of like religious fanatics who worship corn and Uh you're like run with it what do you want to do and i love that (laughs) i think it's great yeah, there's something unpretentious about the third one in particular, and I mean the second one too, for for that matter. But the second one feels a little bit more like they're trying to be scary and coming off as goofy. Where this one, uh, Children of the Corn Three, is is really just like, yeah, this isn't going to be something we want you to be scared by. This is something we want you to laugh at, to enjoy, 
you know, to, to clap, you know, along whenever, you know, this head gets ripped off in this glorious faction, you know, they really linger on the gore shots and, and uh, screaming Matt George did the uh, gore effects. And he's just like going like full throttle into like full moon territory mm-hmm. here almost, but with like a better budget, you know, there, there's just, yeah. uh, there's just something gleeful about this movie. Like it's just really relishing what it's doing and how, how much fun it's having. And the only thing it's asking you as a audience member is to have fun too. Uh, and there's just something nice about that and something easy to watch about, uh, about that kind of thing. And it's also in that kind of direct to video era where they were still like shooting on film and, you know, there was still mm-hmm. a certain level of production quality and it's got that early dimension feel too, where it's just, you know, the worst of the worst of like mid to late nineties fashion and hairstyles and Mm -hmm. stuff on display. You know, it's uh, I don't know. There's something that was very nostalgic to me about watching this movie. I agree. And as I'm looking forward to children of the corn four, which is subtitled the gathering, Naomi (laughs) Watts is the lead. Mm -hmm. Yes. uh, Was paid $5,000 for her role in this movie, which filmed in Austin, Texas, by the way, Eric, that's a little fun fact. Nice. Also got Karen Black in it and Brent Jennings. This guy was in uh, Serpent in the Rainbow, hmm. Another 48 Hours, Red Heat, Moneyball. Hmm. And he's in a movie called Where's Marlo, which has a lead role from uh, our, our good friend Miguel Ferrer, a King cast favorite. And it appears he's in the lead role. And let me tell you where this ended up. I'm looking at the the plot synopsis for where's marlo and let me just read it to you verbatim after making a three-hour fiasco about new york city's water supply a two-man film crew decides to take it up a notch by documenting life in the private investigator office of boone and murphy cheating husbands and missing dogs fail to bring in the big bucks however and after sleeping with the wife of one of their clients murphy leaves To stop Boone from having to close down the business, the two filmmakers must resort to a hands-on approach in the investigations to ensure the completion of their movie. The fuck does any of that mean? (laughs) What is after making a three-hour fiasco about New York City's water supply? Oh, do they mean like making a movie? Yeah, like a documentary, it sounds like. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I was interpreting. John Slattery and Mo's Def are in this? What the fuck? (laughs) Clayton Townsend produced it. That's a that's a guy that's worked with Oliver Stone on a number of his movies. Natural Born Killers and like um, U-Turn, that era of Oliver Stone. Why the fuck have I never heard of this movie? Wait, so is it or is it not about water? <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand. No, it's about it, it seems to it seems like it might be even like a, a, a fake documentary thing. Oh. And I think it's following Boone and Murphy. So Miguel Ferrer and John Slattery are the private investigators who are investigating cheating husbands and missing dogs. I'm having to like piece all this together. Okay. After sleeping with the wife of one of their clients, (laughs) Murphy, John Slattery leaves (laughs) to stop Boone. That's Miguel Ferrer from having to close down the business. Why is this like a fucking logic puzzle? Is there any corn in this at all? I don't think there is. You know, that's and that's really alarming. And furthermore, um, Brent Jennings from Corn 4 is listed as the cast here. But when you go to the Wikipedia page for where is Marlo, he's not listed. So that's a new mystery to investigate, perhaps, oh, for all why, of us. Why someone doesn't want a credit listed someplace publicly? 
Yeah. <laughs> I think we know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have never heard of it, but I, I'm admittedly very excited about it. But we are way off track. This has nothing to do with Children of the Corn. But I am, I, I am interested to see four now after seeing this one. What did y'all think of the big scene at the end where the fucking uh, he who walks behind the bros makes his triumphant <laughs> return to the screen? Do you I want mean, me? I think it's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I couldn't tell if the silence was exasperated or not. No, I mean, I just didn't. I didn't. I thought the movie was over. And then it was just like, oh, we're okay. All right, we're going to go. And then I was like, oh, it's only 92 minutes, this movie, huh? And, um, then uh yeah it got like really really big with special effects and you know Charlize Theron got thrown and um there's some great effects in this though like there's a scene where the one lady like gets uh she's getting thrown around by you know Eli and his magical powers or something and like lands with her head uh speared onto a pipe that's like jutting out from another pipe and then water Yeah, and then water comes out of her mouth. It's a fucking great gag. Like mm-hmm. I, I loved it. I couldn't actually figure out. I I went back and and uh, rewound and, and watched that again because I couldn't figure out um, exactly how they were doing it. Like they had to make it looked some like kind a perfect stream. Uh-huh. It was amazing. Yeah, that was really well done. Um, a lot of the gore stuff was was really well done in, in the movie, and it bordered on the cartoony, which is why I kept making the comparison to uh, early Peter Jackson because there's some like brain dead style uh, gags in this thing where it's mm-hmm. over the top and again just fun, just meant to be fun, but just like well done enough to not be eye rollingly shitty. Uh, the <laughs> the rubber monster is kind of eye rollingly shitty, but it's. It's not even the design of the monster, the, this giant towering thing. It's the fact that it's like early days of, of uh, like I guess using digital technology to put live action people in in that thing. You know, because in, in the old mm-hmm. days they would have just like kind of did the Star Wars style, like blue screen, green screen, and then you know, and then put or a matte painting or something. And uh, but here there's like some really terrible digital artifacting of some of these uh, teenager people like running through this building. In this corn, these corn rows that are in this abandoned building and this giant rubber monster <laughs> is towering behind them. And you can like see like the edges aren't clean at all. They look like they're almost from like lawnmower man or something. And they're, they're de-resing mm. or resing into the, the, the shot. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh overall, like I, I'm really happy with the gore effects. I think the final creature looks dumb, uh, but you know, it, it's fitting for the movie. So it doesn't, me. Yeah, totally. Can I say also, I really like, you know, as a as a lapsed Catholic, I really love that there's like a priest in this who is <laughs> has to take the kind of, you know, like mild point of view and is just like, bro, we don't really believe all of this shit. Like <laughs> <laughs> we're going too hard. <laughs> like we gotta live our lives. Like this is just kind of like a show thing. And <laughs> Yeah. And I just, I, I appreciated that uh, point of view. <laughs> right. I like the scene where um, Eli, like, just completely owns the priest by preaching too hard. Mm-hmm. You know, he, like, comes in and just, like, drops this fucking monologue. It's it's this total, you know, mic drop on whatever sermon the priest had been doing up to that point. But uh, Oh, yeah. Doesn't Eli say, like, do you know who, like, Joseph was? And someone's just like, who the fuck cares? <laughs> Yeah, you like the Bible, name one Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> he pulls that move on him. Um, 
What do you think about uh, Eli versus what's his name? Fucking um, Isaac from the first one. These two villains head to head. Who do I you think is winning? Isaac both- wins, no, no doubt. Isaac is right. Wait, no what do you mean, no doubt? What? How come? How come? Because there's there's something that is more unstable about him. <laughs> like there's there's a kind of primitive thing about him that always creeps me out whenever I watch that. I mean, like to me, if you put Isaac into this movie, it'd be like, you know, masterpiece. <laughs> well, I think you're talking about performance. I'm talking about by powers. Mm. powers? Who do you think? Yeah. Corn powers. Okay. So naturally. corn powers. I don't think that we ever got to know the breadth of Isaac's mm. corn powers because he hadn't been alive for that long. So if we, you know, like we'll give him like, you know, what's the difference between uh, how many years between the first one and the third one? You know, like we give him a decade of experience. His power might actually have grown. Mm -hmm. Hmm. There's something also. Also, did he have one of the little secret Bibles that that Eli had? Did Isaac have one of those? I assume so, right? I don't think so. I don't remember that. The secret Bible thing is is weird because it's... uh, Kind of the one of the coolest aspects to me of the original idea for the story wasn't that there was this cult of of corn people or whatever. It's not a, a culty corn religion. It is just really a, a spinoff of like a darker side of Christianity, right? And it's not the corn god versus the 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 human god or whatever. The thing that was really creepy about it was using our the Christianity that we know uh, that can get extreme. Uh, and just putting into this weird, like supernatural worship of this thing, kind of behind the uh, behind the rose, this monster. So this one, you know, it's trying to build out a mythology in a different way that I don't think is as you know scary to me because it's not as uh, you know recognizable in our world. I guess is what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. So also points off for no Malachi. Mm-hmm. I like a I like a um a I like a redheaded corn child. Right. In my in my children of the corn movies, yeah. and I think that it 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 loses something without one. And when I tend to think of corn boys or or uh, Amish folks, I, I tend to imagine somebody like uh, Courtney Gaines from the first one. And yeah. I would like to see more of that representation in my my corn boy movies. I, I mean, yeah, it's weird. Do you? <clears throat> I wonder if like you know our ginger friends. Are we like, allowed to say ginger anymore? I don't know. I don't know either. We'll find out after we air this. Yeah, I don't I think it. <laughs> I, I don't think Ginger's off limits yet, but uh, I'm sure it is on the chopping block since it's it's used so often to be derisive. Oh yeah, all my all my wife's brother's kids are Ginger kids, all of them across the board. I don't have anything to add to that that won't get me in trouble. But I like Gingers. Yeah, we, we, we don't dis- we don't get, you know we don't dislike Gingers. It's no. it's just a striking look. Yeah. You don't see it, you know, when was the last, uh, the, I guess, Jessica Chastain? She's naturally ginger, right? I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. she is. Before that, we had Caruso. Oh, Big yeah. D. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Gingers are so rare. Eric Stoltz. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, God, I forgot about Eric Stoltz. What the Anthony fuck is Michael that guy Hall doing? He's not a ginger, or is he? Who? Anthony Michael Hall. I know he has... I didn't know if he had like strawberry blonde hair. Or- yeah, it's yeah. like strawberry blonde. I, like think of him in uh, Breakfast Club. He hasn't got that Malachi hair. <laughs> yeah, Amber Heard. Anyway, not Amber Heard. That's that. She's blonde. Uh, Am- who am I thinking of? I'm thinking of uh, 
Amy Adams. Amy Adams. Amy oh, she's, oh she's yeah. Blonde. Amy Adams is blonde? It, really? In real life? Yeah. She she started um dyeing her hair uh I think after June bug because she started mm. getting roles because her look was more unique. Good for her, but I also feel betrayed somehow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so much to Eric, we should we should do a children on the corn screening and we'll both dye our hair ginger <laughs> for the occasion. I think it would be a good look for both of us. Oh, sure. I mean, I'm sold. well, speaking of, uh, of, uh, blondes, like, uh, the deceptive Amy Adams, uh, you mentioned Charlize Theron is in this movie and she absolutely is. Yes. And it's weird watching it because I didn't register that. I, I think in the back of my mind, I knew she was in one of these at some point, but I didn't register that was her, but I did notice that they kept cutting to her randomly. And I'm, and I had a thought in my mind while watching this going, man, whoever, uh, whoever was like editing this or, you know, filming this was really smitten with this one extra. Cause they just keep going back to this random blonde in the crowd. Uh, <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, she gives like this featured extra moment or whatever. But, uh, but like in the back of my mind, I was like, Oh, some, somebody was probably like be creeping on, on this extra or something and at a certain point. Now that you, when you mentioned Charlize, I'm like, Oh shit, it was her. And it absolutely was. Yeah. It's still weird though, because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, then that just means that they're creeping on Charlie's Theron, not just the yep. extra. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. At that point, she wasn't known, so the the creeping still happened. But the fact that it happened to be somebody who'd be you know, go on to become like one of the biggest actresses, <laughs> you know, twenty years later. Yeah, the creeping was more prestigious than it originally <laughs> is. What we're trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> the guy had good he had he had good taste, a good eye on that dude. Yeah. So, good lord. So yeah, so what I'm thinking, my takeaway from this is that we now have an in to get Charlize on the show to talk about her experiences being creeped on in Children of the Corn Part Three, Urban Harvest. Which I'm yeah, I'm sure that her PR reps are gonna be like, we gotta get on this, you know? <laughs> that sounds like someone throwing down a gauntlet. We're gonna get fucking Charlize Theron on this show for the <laughs> That would be, can you imagine that episode, though? That would be so great. Uh, Oscar winner, Charlize Theron, on the King cast, regaling us with tales from the Children of the Corn 3 Urban Harvest set. I think we can all agree that's something, a goal that we should be working towards. We will endeavor to make that happen. Is there anything else we want to say about uh, Corn Corn Boys 3? Or have we uh, about squeezed this cob dry? (laughs) God damn it, that was an awful choice of words. I'm sorry. (laughs) I mean, you could squeeze a cob, though. All right. Now you're making it, you know, inappropriate. Uh, Corn juice. Corn juice. What if if they had made a sequel? Okay. I'm going to back up a little bit. I'm going to pitch this from the beginning. I want to do a sequel. The sequel we were promised at the end of Children of the Corn 3. Yes. With the transparent to Germany. But here's the catch. We're going to make it a crossover with Steven... Soderbergh's The Informant. Okay. And have Mark Whitaker show up as the guy, the corn guy, who's, you know, helping distribute the corn throughout Germany to make money. And 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 that is something we touched on this very briefly earlier, but I do want to give a shout out to the corn-based corporate intrigue that is in Children of the Corn 3. It's a very, very unexpected um, <laughs> element in this movie. <laughs> Two guys like sitting in a, in a very nice office. You know, everything's wood. One of them's drinking scotch or something, and they're they're talking about these magic 
corn stalks or corn cobs that uh, the one guy has gotten his hands on. I was riveted the entire time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that part was necessary, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, to the overall mythology of the series, yes. Yeah. We need it, to... I felt like Wall Street. <laughs> like, you could tell that there was, like, some double crossing, maybe, or some corn All kinds crossing. of palace intrigue just waiting yeah. to happen. I, I also I'm... thought that the guy who accepts the corn in Germany, there's something about him. <laughs> There's a little spark in him where I was just like, I got to see more of this guy. I got to see more of this guy. <laughs> like, we have to make him like a count or a duke or something. He's, he's got just that kind of Euro trashy <laughs> flair Honestly, to Honestly, I was watching it and I was just like, is this going to turn into a Dracula movie? Like I couldn't yeah. figure out like what was going on where I was just like, did Dracula come over on the ship with the corn or <laughs> he just had that vibe about him where it's just like you say euro trash i say dracula you know same thing to me honestly mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. need to get flula borg back on the show and have him play we'll interview the guy who took receipt of the corn in germany right um at the end of children of the corn three three hour interview no problem plenty of questions <laughs> done <to ask. laughs> So, April, this is usually the point in the show where we allow our guests to uh, tease whatever they're they're working on next. I, you told us up front you're you're working on some movies. You're working on uh, a TV thing. Yeah. Sounds like you're probably under some NDAs. But uh, is there is there anything you can tease at this moment? Give us a hint on genre or perhaps oh, yeah. how much corn might be involved in in these projects you're working on. I've I've the the one of the TV projects is a murdery fun <laughs> New England summer thriller. Mm. Right on. Which I like like, might be of interest to you guys. Yeah. Uh, you know, set set on a fictional kind of uh uh New England coastal island vacation place. Right on. No overlap with Midnight Mass, another New England based, island based No. Horror no. series? No. no. Okay. I'm. I mean, like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to. Like, why would I want to set myself up for that? <laughs> yeah. No shit. <laughs> what, what, what did you think of Midnight Mass? By the way. You know, I thought it was great. I thought that uh, I am a person who, and in fact, I actually just talked to John Carpenter about this. The fact that I love monologues in mm-hmm. horror films, and I think part of that probably has to do with like a Catholic upbringing, and I love the. Um, <laughs> I, I love a homily, you know, give me a good fucking homily. And because that was the only part of the mass that I cared about, where it was just like, I was like, okay, incense, whatever, that smells great. And then singing is cool. But then like, if there was a good homily, then you're like, yeah, all right, we're getting into this. Um, so- it's like, the other read on that is like, I want a sinister tone, but I also want a guy talking a lot. And that made me think of my Catholic upbringing. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> That's not too far off. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's true. There's, there's actually a, uh, a film that I'll be directing next year that I wrote that is, there's definitely a priest who gives a a long homily um, uh, in it. And, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm watching, uh, you know, midnight mass being like, okay, don't do my shit. Don't do. Okay. Good. He didn't do my shit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm safe. He didn't do that. You know, you just want to make sure that you get there first. (laughs) No, no vampires in your thing. 
no vampires. No, my that it's it's more of a a, a, a monster movie ish. Love thing. monsters, love yeah. creatures. You're directing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know who's doing the effects already? No, that is a little up in the air. Um, hoping that we're gonna figure it out shortly. But give screaming uh, Matt George a call. The, yeah. No, right? <laughs> oh my god! I I do know who's going to do the creature design, and that's that's the exciting part. So, can you, you know. say who that is? No. <laughs> can you say what kind of creatures? Um, I mean, it involves my favorite animal, a cat. Oh, Sleepwalkers too, confirmed. <laughs> Yet another Kingcast exclusive. Well, we're we're very excited to see that. I will also again put out uh, the opinion that I think. The Black Christmas remake is undervalued. I, I genuinely love that movie, and I encourage our our listeners to seek it out and watch it. I don't know if you collect any royalty checks on that, but there's a great... Oh, fuck, how do I describe it? <laughs> there's a great scare in that movie, and I think everyone should see it. I, I don't want to... I, I brought it up, and now I don't want to say more about it because I don't yeah. want to spoil it. But It's uh, tough. Yeah, I, yeah. I, there's definitely more scares that I wanted to put in, but, you know, there's... There's other powers that be that control things. Um, well, well, it's that long shot. It's like, you know, the camera's way pulled back across a room and the character is going like in and out of doorways. And then, you know, some suddenly somebody enters. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's the moment I'm thinking of. I fucking love that sequence. Yeah. That's, uh, I think, at our halfway mark, um, which is designed. <laughs> <laughs> that way because <laughs> that's when things start ramping up but yeah things take a turn no corn cobs in that one but uh we'll we'll take it anyway but there's uh, a menorah it- <laughs> <laughs> now we're now we're opening up a whole new line of discussion yeah I know. Now, do you think jewish people can be corn boys uh Ooh. shit i think they are jewish prob- people are like they're you're born jewish right so you know, you're born into it. I think, I, and and it's very difficult to leave, as I understand. Yeah, but but you could make. I I don't see there being anything in the way of transitioning into a a corn boy position from Judaism. Yeah, I just feel I feel like they'd be more like bagel boys. Um, which, oh Lord, <laughs> which is would be like the wheat side of it, you know? Mm. Um, oh, I see, I see. There's. You know, it's just, it's a little bit different. There's corn and then there's, corn is more oppressive than wheat, I have to say. Right. I think. That's true. Agreed. I, you know, wheat, wheat anyway. bends more. Wheat is kind of blown in the wind. It's got a, it's got a flexibility to it. Um, you know, I'm going a lot, I'm going a lot of places with this metaphor. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I could fight my way out of a field of wheat. Corn, it's going to be a problem. No, absolutely could fight your way out of wheat. Totally. Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, corn is going to be a huge issue. Yeah. Fighting your way out of a a field of wheat is like, I could beat up a fucking wad of cotton candy if I had to. Like, that wouldn't be be a hard thing to do at all. So that's probably not a good comparison. I think, you know, corn corn boys, probably not. No. Well, we look forward to your next project. Um, Thank you so much for coming back. Maybe if we all get a... A hot poker up our ass at some point. We'll decide to extend this to Children of the Corn 4. I am very curious to check that one out. But for now, this has been Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest. Thank you, everyone. 
Many thanks to April Wool for joining us into the corn yet again. One more time into the corn with April. Uh, and, uh, you know, thanks for kind of forcing us to do this, uh, uh, the diving into the sequels, because uh, mm-hmm. they've been filled with way more gold than uh, than I think either one of us anticipated when we no. started the show. I absolutely did not want to watch these. And now we're like three deep. We recorded this episode a while back, and I'm already kind of itching to, to see what's going on with the Corn Boys 4. I haven't mm. looked up. I don't have no, I have no mm. idea what it's about or what even the, the premise of the thing is. But I think uh, I think I'm going to keep going, dude. We're three for three on these bad boys. I, I think that we're about to hit the line where, where they started getting like unreasonably cheap. Mm. You know what I mean? So I think I think we're about to hit that line. I don't know if it's going to be four or five, but uh, by God, we will find that line at some point. Indeed. Let's talk about what's uh, what's going on in the show next week. I'm going to let you do all the talking here, so I don't oh spoil. Oh, so I don't. Okay, it's all on my shoulders. All right, well, let's. Do you talk want me ab- to do it? Because I'm going to fuck no. it up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, no, I'm happy. Uh, I will start with our Patreon on Friday. This Friday on our Patreon, we have Winter Mitchell her in her triumphant return, and she's bringing along this bizarre little uh, adaptation of a great little short story from nightmares and dreamscapes called the moving finger. So we are talking about that and this weird, uh, horror anthology show that adapted it starring Tom Noonan. It is, it is a bizarre thing. It's a rollicking mm. conversation. Uh, the show is, uh, was kind of like a sub tales from the crypt sub tales from the dark side <laughs> show called monsters that I have very fond memories of as watching as a kid. And, uh, uh, watching it now, the little little cheap, but the conversation's a whole lot of fun. We, I think, we spend maybe a solid twenty minutes just debating back and forth on what we would do should we go into our bathroom at a certain point and see a human finger just sticking out of the drain and for sure kind of poking around. Low stakes in terms of the title, but a very very fun episode. That's something to look forward to on Friday. It's a little bit like King Cast Unplugged. I will say it's just like kind of hairs down. We're just all pants ribbing each other and giving each other shit and it's a fun one yeah there's a lot of ball breaking (laughs) there's some winner doesn't have balls but you know balls are getting broken left and right figurative balls real balls what have you um (laughs) and when when i told you to take the lead on this i i thought you were going to launch into the main feed episode next week Mm. i could have handled the winner thing but uh the main feed i want to stay away from Mm. as not to spoil anything I am more than happy to be very cagey about what's happening next week. Uh, the only things we are going to tell you about next week is it is going to cover a title that has not been specifically covered on the KingCast yet, and it will be bringing back one of our listeners' favorite returning guests. Yes. So I am going to be very cagey on it, but we will announce... Uh, hopefully on Monday on our Twitter feed. So that's at KingCast19. I'm not saying shit. <laughs> it's a very, this is this will be a very exciting episode, and the following week is also a very exciting episode. We're we're ending this year with two generous sized episodes and a lot of great discussion with people who absolutely know their shit. And both of them are titles we haven't talked about before. Right. Right. That's so. true. Y'all don't even know what order we're running these in. We could be swapping them out and you'd have no idea. And that's the way we like it to keep you guys in the dark. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you'll just have to take our word for it that both titles are big. Both titles have never been discussed specifically on the show. And both guests, I guess it's safe to say both guests are also 
returners, favorite returners. So what you won, you get. You'll never know until, I guess, Monday. You'll know on Monday. We'll tell yeah. you Monday. We'll all find out on Monday. Yes. <laughs> Uh, great. So yeah, so make sure to head over to patreon.com slash the Kingcast to sign up. Uh, you'll definitely want to be in that $10 tier by the time we announce what our commentary is for this month and ending this year. Uh, I will it, say that well, much. Mm, yep. Biting my tongue again. It's been recorded. It's, it's rad. We're very happy with it. You guys are going to love it. Um, and yeah, for the main feed, we will be back with this mystery title and mystery guest next Wednesday. Very well. Folks, we will see you then. Bye. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly. <laughs>